around us and the people we live around. And I want to call you back to that and maybe refocus that a little bit. And, and so let me start by reminding you a little bit and maybe chastising us, myself included, a little bit for the way that we're tempted to pray. So um, I don't have the little clicker, and so Joel's going to help me out there at the back. So this is how we tend to pray for America. At least this is what I hear as I join with some of you and others that are not a part of our church. When we pray for the United States, generally we pray something that is a little bit more eloquent than the way I've stated it here. But generally our prayers is, God, would you bless us a lot here in America? I mean, would you just smile on America and give us favor and, and to borrow a political phrase, you know, God, would you put America first? And I would suggest to you that God has answered that prayer many, many times over and over again, and the evidence of that is overwhelming. God has blessed America extraordinarily. We enjoy so much affluence, so much security, so much dominance in the world. God has blessed us enormously. And so I just want to challenge us a little bit when we go back and say, well, God, you know, bless America. It might be a little bit um, overreaching to say, God, you need to bless America. And you might hear the voice of God from time to time saying, I have. You need more? (laughs) Well, yes, we do. (laughs) But, you know, generally our prayer is, God, bless America, and bless America a lot. Just, Just bless us extraordinarily. And then maybe we follow that up with not only bless America, but protect America, because we love this nation and we want to see this nation thrive, and and we think that the principles that America stands on are noble and helpful in the world. And so we don't want to see America attacked and in need of defending. So God, protect us a lot. And again... America enjoys an enormous amount of protection, and I'm grateful to every one of you who has served in our country's defense. I'm I'm grateful to every veteran that is here and every active duty serviceman or woman and every reservist. And I recognize that we field the largest army that the world has ever known. Literally. And we not only field the largest army, but we, we've, or military, but we, we have this military that has more technological capability than, than the world can compete with. I mean, we've, we've won. And I don't know that we need to make any apologies for that, but sometimes I think we say, well, God protect America. You know, it, it, we might be hearing God saying back, but... I have, and you have an incredible capacity to do that for yourselves. And then the other prayer that I hear a lot and how we pray for America is help our leaders. So we pray for our president, we pray for our governor, we pray for these people who are in elected position. And um, I recently got into a little bit of a debate online. And if you ever follow my little debates online, just, just scroll past them. 
Because I've, I've yet to find I actually changed somebody's mind on Facebook. But we tend to pray for our leaders and, and say, you know, be, be with these leaders. But our prayers usually tend to be framed in something like, help these leaders to figure it out and start to think like we do. You know, enlighten them because we want them to think the way we do. I, I, I got to tell you, forgive me if I'm standing on your toes this morning with this, but I think it is really quite humorous how we pray for our president depending on where we stand politically. I already stood on somebody's toes. You're giggling. You know, but here's the thing. If, if the president is of our political party, we pray and say, give him strength, give them courage, help them to speak so people understand. And if they're not of our party, we say, help them figure it out. Show them where they're wrong and how to get it right. And the older I get, I just find that I'm usually praying that no matter which party they're from. You know, it, they get up there and they get elected to high office and they're in Washington, D.C. And I, I have yet to look back in the last 20 or 30 years and see a president who didn't make a mistake. And I have to admit that in my own ego, and maybe you've done this in yours, I just think, you know, if they would just do what I think is right, this America would be amazing. And that's usually what motivates people to run for high office is, you know, let me make the decisions because I've got it right. So our prayers tend to be, God, help these leaders think like us. Well, I want to shift gears. I want to look at a passage from Paul's writing to Timothy and how he encourages Timothy to pray. So to put this in context, the Apostle Paul, you know, he's, he's been around. He's seen life. He's seen politics and was, in fact, involved in it for a while. And he is passing on his wisdom to this young man who is going to take up the cause of the kingdom for the next generation. And he's giving advice to Timothy. And here's what to do and here's not what to do. Or sorry, here's what not to do. And so he's just helping guide and mentor Timothy through some things in life. And he gives Timothy this advice. So let's look at this passage of scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, I urge you, first of all, so he's getting ready to unload a whole bunch of wisdom. I'm going to give you a bunch of advice. But the first thing I urge you, to pray for all people. You guys have heard me say this before. I'll say it again. When we read scripture and it says all, do we believe all? <laughs> you know? The Lord will reconcile all things to himself. Does that mean all or does he just mean most people? When he says pray for all people, does he mean all people? Does he mean... You know, the people just around you in your neighborhood or even in your family. Well, he says, pray for all people. And I would suggest when God says all, he means all. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. So, that's our first piece. We're going to come back to that. We're going to pull this apart piece by piece. So let's go ahead there, Joel. Keep reading here. In verse 2, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. 
And the next slide. Our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Okay, so we're going to pull this apart a little bit. And as we go forward here, so this is how we tend to pray. We pray, God bless us a lot. God protect us a lot and help our leaders think the way we do. But I want to suggest that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking through Paul to Timothy. And as he's doing so, he's imparting some wisdom that not only applied in Asia Minor a couple thousand years ago, but applies in America today. And so instead of praying for America in just that kind of a cookie-cutter shape, maybe we can pray for our country in another way. So let's look at it this way. We're challenged to pray for all. And of course, America is included in that. And uh, we, we get into debates about black lives matter or all lives matter. And we get into debates about do we just pray for America or do we pray for all people? So I would suggest to you, as I've said, when God says all, he means all. And so that means that we need to pray for all kinds of people. And I'm going to have an, an actual exercise for you in a few minutes here, a couple minutes. But I want to challenge you that praying for all means that we pray for people who go beyond our emotional boundaries. Or another way of saying that is that God is challenging us to pray for people that we generally don't care about or we have no emotional bond with. Now, you don't have to go outside the borders of the United States to encounter that. And I'm sure that some of you have experienced that where all of a sudden you're around people that you do not know, you have no history with them, you haven't formed any kind of a bond with them, and yet these people are needy, and our tendency is to say, that is not us. And so my challenge to you is, let's pray for people who go beyond the people we care about. That's hard, because generally we pray for people we love. And we have to be reminded that God said, I want you to love your neighbors as yourself. And so, you know, we can frame this in all kinds of different ways. But one of the most helpful ways for me, because I, I went there a couple of times as a boy traveling to and from the mission field. And so I'm reminded that the Lord's saying, I want you to pray for New York City. Because New York City is one of the most bizarre places in the world. Some of you have been there. You encounter New York City and you never know who the next person is going to be and what they're going to be like, what, what their ethnic background is, what language they're going to speak, what kind of interaction you're going to have with them. So when I think about praying for New York City, I go back to one of those childhood memories. We were getting off the plane and we um, had landed at JFK. I was uh, probably about seven or eight years old and it was cold, which was a first, that was a shock for us. We were coming from Africa where it had been warm and on the southern hemisphere and we got off the plane and we had to change planes, but not only change planes, we had to change airports. So we were leaving JFK for LaGuardia Airport and we had to catch a shuttle over there and we go outside uh, of the airport terminal at JFK and we're waiting for a shuttle and there are there's a cabbie there. Now, this is back in the days. I mean, this is like movie set. The old yellow cabs, these huge cars. And if you're under the age of 30, Google it. You've probably never seen one except in a movie. 
But there was a guy, and he was leaning against his yellow cab, and he had this big fat cigar sticking out the side of his mouth. And I walked out there, and I was shocked by the cold, and my senses are overwhelmed already. And this guy looks at us, looks at me, I mean directly at me like a seven, eight-year-old boy, and he says, for $5, I'll take you to LaGuardia Airport. That is exactly how he said it. And I, I was slack jaw. I just had to go out. I don't even know what he said. <laughs> and I turned and I looked to my dad, and my dad took, and, and, and I, but I made out LaGuardia Airport. And I thought, that, that's where we're going. So I, I said, hey, dad, he's going to take us to LaGuardia Airport. And my dad <laughs> responded, we're going, no, he's not. You know, we're taking the shuttle that's really cheap. We're not going in the yellow cab. But, but, you know, here was this. And I realized in that moment, this guy was so different to me. He didn't speak the way I did. And, and we're in a place that doesn't feel familiar, smell familiar, look familiar. And this is incredibly different to me. So when I think about praying for all people in America, I think about New York City and how disturbing it felt for me to be in that place. And how much more comforting it was to be in the middle of Kansas, open wheat fields and family that loved me. And I've realized, I've come to learn in my life that if I can pray for a stogie smoking taxi driver in New York City, I can pray for just about anybody. I can pray for that guy on the other side of the world who doesn't speak my language or worship my God or share my values or love my family. And, and so we can go beyond these emotional boundaries. And, and for some of us, we can even be challenged to the point where, and, and maybe even have this kind of spiritual maturity where we pray for those who hate us. Uh, they're out there, we know it. And they're on all sides. I mean, it's not just on one side of us. They're on all sides. There's people out there who really cannot stand what we stand for, for one reason or another. And we can fear them and we can cower before them or we can say, God, you are mighty and if you are here and you are present and you are active, then we can, we can enlist your spirit in and around them. So praying beyond those emotional boundaries. Then what do you pray for when you pray for these people who are so different to us, these people who are not quite the same as we are? Well, he gives Timothy these three challenges. He says, pray that the Lord would help them. And this seems crazy because I think the people that are different that really pose a threat to us should not have any help. You know, that's in my, in my humanity, I think they don't need any help. They're... They're going to hurt me. Why would I pray for their help? But he says to Timothy, pray for all people. Pray that the Lord would help them. This is what Paul says. That he would intercede for them. So intercede means making a change, making a difference, coming in between them and their circumstances. And then he says, give thanks for them. So, so go back to that verse again. Joel, go back, go to the next slide. Let's go back to that verse because here's what Paul says. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. This is so counterintuitive. 
people who are different to me that do not share my values, do not share my faith, do not share my land, do not share anything with me. Why would I want them to be helped? But Paul says, pray that God would help them and intercede on their behalf. And then finally, and give thanks for them. This is preposterous, isn't it? If, if we're praying beyond our emotional boundaries, praying for people who are not like us, that we're not comfortable around, that don't seem familiar, to pray that they would be helped, that they would have intercession, and that they would be people that we would hold with gratitude in our hearts. I would suggest to you that this kind of prayer does not fit well in the political arena. When we look around us and we say, okay, you know what? Let's pray for the homeless. Let's, let's take that, that section of our society. Let's pray for the homeless. They're different to us. I mean, they, they enjoy, and I'm using that very euphemistically, they enjoy a different economic reality than most of us do. And they, they eat differently than most of us do. And if you spent much time around homeless people that have been homeless for a while, they even smell differently than the way we do. And our prayer might be, God, those people need help. Find someone, someone else, to help them so that I don't have to see them, put up with them, deal with them. Years ago, I had traveled to Indianapolis and I was there for a series of meetings. I was there over a weekend and I was, it was included a Sunday and I, I wasn't preaching in my church I was pastoring at the time. And so I decided that I would travel downtown to the Westmore Street Church, which is an historical free Methodist church. And I went in there and my friend Mark Van Valen was pastoring at the time and I thought I get to hear Mark preach. He's a fantastic preacher and um, see some college friends of mine that attended that church. So I came in and, and my father-in-law, he drove over from Illinois to meet me because I'd flown from Denver out there and he hadn't seen me in a while. So he drove over on the weekend and we spent the night together in a hotel room, my father-in-law and I, and then we went to church together on Sunday morning and we sat down in our seats and after we sat down, a young man came in, a middle-aged man, and he was dressed pretty nicely. I mean, you know, dockers and a polo shirt, and, and it was all clean and pressed, and you could tell this guy had it together. And he came and he sat right in the row in front of us, and I thought, well, you know, my kind of guy. He sat there for a while, we got up to sing the first song, and he kept looking back like he was expecting someone else to come. And so I was sort of expecting a wife and kids maybe scurrying in from maybe a Sunday school class that went long. But he kept looking back, and finally he stepped out, back out into the main aisle, and he walked about halfway back, and he met a guy. And this guy was really different. He had this trench coat on, he had this long, really matted, nasty hair. He had a beard... His complexion was not good. He was missing teeth. There was just, you know, it was obvious that this guy was homeless. And he met the guy and he shook hands with him in, this, in the middle aisle. And he was only a couple of seats behind us at this point. He said, okay, come on up here. You can sit with me. And this 
homeless man came and sat with him directly in front of us. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that for the rest of the worship service, I was distracted by the guy's aroma. He hadn't showered or bathed in a long time. And I, so the, you know, the first thing that caught my attention was, this guy really smells. That was it. Then I noticed what they were doing, how they interacted, these two. And it became apparent that somehow these two knew each other. And so, you know, the guy that was pretty well-dressed leaned over and kind of asked the guy, he goes, hey, how you doing? Is today a good day? And the guy kind of nodded, yeah, yeah, you know. And we were eavesdropping on a little bit of their conversation. And then it came time for us to sing, and we stood up together to sing. And this was back in the day when not all churches had these nice projection systems and so we got hymnals out and we turned to the hymn number and this guy in front of us opened a hymnal and and shared it with the guy and pointed to the lines of the music and how to follow and which words we would be singing and then we sat down and pastor mark came out and he read scripture and the guy opened his bible and he helped the guy follow along and 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 in that moment i the Lord got a hold of me and, and reminded me that this is what it means to love others. Is you welcome them right there in your pew, you know, in your seat. Our founding father of free Methodism, a guy by the name of B.T. Roberts, this is what he advocated for. You see, he wanted uh, people of every economic strata to be able to worship together in the same place. And the division was that... Uh, Methodist churches at the time were selling pews. They had these seats that were pews, not like our chairs. And wealthy families bought pews. And of course, back then, they were really mixed up and had their priorities really screwed up. And so the really expensive pews were the one in front. If you were to do this today, they'd be the ones in the back. If you want the best seats, you want to be the farthest from the preacher. But back then, the best ones were the ones in front. And if your family was wealthy, you bought a pew, and that was your family pew. And then, you know, if you were just kind of middle class, you were sort of halfway to the back. And if you could just scrape a few dimes together, you had a seat somewhere in the back. And maybe if your church was really progressive, there would be a section where there weren't any that were sold and anyone could sit there that came in. That was the system. And it made the church a lot of money. But B.T. Roberts took issue with that and said, now wait a minute, that prevents the poor from coming in and being welcomed as equals. And so he went on this strident campaign of advocating for what he called free pews. That's a part of our free Methodist heritage and history. So I think that we're doing well when we follow our heritage and we follow the gospel of Christ and we follow when scripture entreats us to reach out to people around us regardless of how wealthy or poor or smelly or fragrant they are and welcome them, pray for them. Lord, help them, intercede for them and then give thanks for them. Years later, I was sitting with my friend, Pastor Mark. We were sharing a meal together at a denominational meeting, and I told him the story. I said, I came to Westmore Street when you were there. I sat there in those pews, and this guy came and sat in front of me, and I thought he would come back with, I know exactly who you're talking about, and tell me the whole story, but he didn't. He was like, I have no idea who they were. 
But as he listened to me and we talked about this, he goes, wow. He said, you know, I wish, I wish our churches had that happening all the time. And so I pray for that. Ask God to help them, intercede for them, and then give thanks for them. Give thanks for them. And I'm just talking about the people who are homeless. I haven't even gotten into people who voted for the other party or the other presidential candidate. Help them. Give thanks for them. Let alone talk about all people who are outside of the boundaries of the United States. So that was the first challenge that Timothy received was pray for all people. Let's go forward with this though because I think the next challenge looks something like this. Oh, sorry. Pray for all people. Let's see what that looks like. Uh, maybe this exercise challenges you a little bit. Who do you think of as you see some of these people that you might pray for? Some of them look like us. Some of them don't. Some of them are our age and some of them are not. Or our ethnicity and some of them are not. So who do we pray for? Who do we ask God to help? And who do we give thanks for? As these faces come past us, uh, I'm sure that some of you are reminded of someone, maybe somebody you love and you care about, maybe you're reminded of someone that you had forgotten about, that you haven't given thanks for. Let's go on with Timothy as he reads on the admonition of God through Paul. Paul goes on to say, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Pray in this way. What does that mean? Well, we go back to what we just read. So, um, Joel, take us to the next slide here. To pray for people in authority means we pray the same context that we prayed for all people. We pray that God helps them. We pray that God intercedes for them. And we pray and we give thanks for them. And that's hard. In fact, it's easier for me at times to pray for people who show obvious brokenness than it is for me to pray for somebody in authority who thinks they have obvious answers. And to give thanks for them. But Paul goes on to say to Timothy, we should pray for them in the same way. We should pray for these people, these kings and authorities, he calls them, in the same way that we pray for all people. 
in order that we might live peaceful and quiet lives. You see, peace is a big part of this. And we tend to think of peace in terms of security. Nobody's threatening us, nothing harming us. But I, I think that part of this is when we pray for those who are in authority, we do not set ourselves up as those in opposition to them. We don't put ourselves in a place where we are the opponent. And maybe we could do that as followers of Jesus Christ. Maybe we could attempt to do that with all leaders. I don't know. I know there's despotic tyrants out there. But maybe if we pray for them, we won't have such a need to be at war with them. And then Paul goes on to say, you know, when we pray for them this way and we get to live peaceful and quiet lives, it looks like godliness and dignity. It looks like godliness and dignity. Um, I'm wondering about how much godliness our lives look like when we're shaking our fist and typing furiously into the computer to have a great answer for that person who doesn't agree with us. And I say that to myself. Well, let's keep moving forward because Paul has more to say. God has more to say, I think, through Paul. So in verses 3 and 4, this is good. (laughs) This kind of praying for all people, including our leaders and authorities, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. So there is a reason for this. Uh, we, We understand that we do these things in order to bring about an outcome. I have a friend, Matt, who likes to say, we need to be reminded over and over again in the church of the so that statements. We are doing this so that this will happen. And so here we have Paul saying to Timothy, you know, Timothy, pray for all people. Pray that God will help them. Give thanks for them. Pray for kings and authorities in the same way because this will help us to live at peace. And we do this so that everyone might be saved. And we might understand truth. So let's really quickly unpack what it means for us. Pray that everyone, for everyone to be saved. Um, Obviously, from a theological standpoint, we here would agree that we would love for everybody in America and around the world to come to a place where they, they ask God for forgiveness and they invite God to interact in their lives and they they promise to be faithful to him and follow him and they fall in love with Jesus. We want that. And I think that's really what is at the heart of this. I think without that, anything that comes next is impossible. But I would also suggest that that's just a starting place. God wants everyone to be saved and that means saved that their hearts would be saved, that their souls would be saved, that their their destination would be in heaven. But God also wants them to be saved so that the world would be changed. So that salvation would come now, here, and look different. I, 
I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine who was asking me about doing medical missions work that Lenny is getting ready to do and my interaction with that. And so I gave him a, you know, a real quick summary about growing up on the mission field around mission doctors and our mission hospitals and my heart for that. And, and then I went on beyond that because I said, you know, I think there's something to be said about the spiritual work of saving a life. And, and you know, how we can interact in somebody who without our help is going to die. And we choose to help them. And how I, I think that's a part of our Christian ethic. It should be built into us that when we see that our intervention might change circumstances, we intervene. And I, I just went on to say, I, I think there's something that lacks faith. It's faithless if we see that we can make a difference to make the world better and we go, but I'm not going to do that. In fact, I, you know, in my way of thinking, and forgive me for this if it's a little too strong, but I think that's cowardly. I think that courageous Christians go, if I walk into that, those circumstances, the circumstances might change, then we get up and walk. You know, I've, I, I spent eight years on a fire department as a volunteer firefighter, and I love firefighters because firefighters do crazy things that other people wouldn't choose to do. And you do things that are just entirely counter to what is wired inside of us. So when you arrive at a house fire and the house is involved in flames and you start putting on all this gear and you it's an act of faith because you think you know this gear is going to protect me and it's going to save me and I will go in there I will walk into the fire and I will take my hose and I will put the fire out there is enormous faith in that I think it's the same way for anybody who's a first responder. Maybe it's a, uh, you know, somebody working EMS that says, you know, I'm going to get on an ambulance because if somebody's hurt, I'm going to walk into those circumstances and I'm going to intervene. I'm going to do something with a broken body because I think I might be able to save their life. It's the same way with a police officer who says, I'm going to drive into the crime-ridden neighborhood because I could prevent somebody from being harmed. I think for us as Christians, there is opportunity after opportunity for us to be part of saving someone else. And that doesn't just mean bringing them to a place where they ask Jesus to forgive their sins. I mean that means for us to be proactive about saying, let us lift up those who have been broken. Let's reach out to those who have been harmed. Let us love them lavishly the way Christ loves them. But it's not just that. It's not just about being spiritual first responders. But he goes on to say what God really wants is that everyone be saved and that they understand the truth. And so it's not just about doing good. It is also about revealing truth. One of the hardest things for me when I travel to Africa is to come in there and be resident, to, to be with those people and let those people know that I, I want things to change here and also to somehow be respectful because there are things that happen there that I just go, this should not be. It shouldn't be this way. Poverty shouldn't be here. There's no reason for it with all the natural resources that country enjoys. 
People should not have to go without medical treatment because we know that it's accessible, it's cheap, it's just that it's not accessible to them. Some of you have volunteered down at the food pantry and you know, you go down there and you're with these people and you realize that this is not the way it should be and there is another reality in America that we can bring people out of these depths of poverty. Now, sometimes that means we got a lot of work to do, but we have to help them understand that that does not define them. That does not define them. And they need to come to a place where they understand the truth of what God really desires to do in them, around them, and ultimately in the entire universe. So my friends, I want to challenge you today as we pray for America. I, w- I want us to pray that God would help all people intercede for them. Let us give thanks for them. And then including our leaders, our rulers. And let's do it because we have a heart and a mind that is fixed on Christ's salvation for those people and for the whole world. That's my prayer. So here's what I want to do. I want us to pray. So go ahead, Joel, to the next.